0: Welcome to The Pod of Asclepius, your fortnightly healthcare technology podcast for the technical crowd. Sponsored by the American Statistical Association, we're bringing the technical experts of engineering, entrepreneurship, data science and regulation straight to your earbuds. No fluff, no sale pictures, just important technical ideas described well to keep you up to date. All in the time it takes to get to work. And here's your host, Glenn Wright Colopy.
1: Hey folks, welcome back to the show. Today we have two really great guests from the University of Oxford. They both come from technical backgrounds and they help other people from technical backgrounds, get their foot into the door with healthcare innovation. So you can think about them that they sort of stride about the world, teaching engineers, statisticians, data scientists like ourselves, how to develop those strong clinical relationships and how to vet their ideas. We like to joke in statistics that once you have a favorite model, you're like a hammer always looking for a nail. And we know that's not the best way to do statistics, but it's also not a good way to create solutions in general, particularly in healthcare. So that's why I wanted them on the show, to talk about an idea called needs-led innovation. I hadn't heard about needs-led innovation until a few years ago, but it's an important concept that the audience should at least be aware of, no matter what your role is within the healthcare industry. It's a great framework by which to vet technical solutions, so for the statisticians listening, it's like your suite of diagnostics to test your assumptions. Our guests today are Jerome Bergman, who's a professor in engineering science at Oxford University, and Daniel Mosforis, who's the program manager at Oxford Health Tech Labs. Needs-led innovation was developed to answer the questions, how do we develop commercially viable clinical solutions in the most efficient way possible, in the most risk-reduced way possible? What steps should we take to make the most of your time and your resources to ensure that you're developing something that's truly needed? So Jerome, welcome to the show. Why don't you give the audience an introduction about yourself and the projects you're involved in?
2: Hi, Glenn. My name is Johan Bergman. I am part of the faculty here at the University of Oxford in the Department of Engineering Science, and I'm also the director of the Oxford Health Tech Labs. We focus with the Oxford Health Tech Labs on needed innovation, and we run several programs where we are promoting that particular methodology.
1: Daniel, you joined Oxford University much more recently. You've come to the UK from Sweden, and I saw you in action in Stockholm doing some great programs with the KTH Royal Institute of Technology. What was your trajectory here, and when did you start with needs-led innovation in healthcare? Yeah, so I'm the program
3: manager for the Global Insight Fellowships here at the University of Oxford, and my academic background is in mechanical engineering and business management. So after school, I actually entered the automotive industry and ended up leading global product development teams there before starting my journey within the field of health technology innovation. And I entered this field through the Clinical Innovation Fellowship Program in Stockholm, which is actually a sister program to the program that we run here at the University of Oxford. I ended up directing the program after I graduated and did that for a couple of years before joining the University of Oxford. And I've been teaching the needs-led innovation approach across Europe and the world ever since through, for example, industry training programs.
1: I think one of the main questions and one of the first things we should talk to the audience about is, you know, What is needs-led innovation and why is it so big? Why is it attracting so many people? A lot of the top minds in medical technology innovation swear by this method is in fact developed by a lot of the top performers in med tech innovation. So what is needs-led innovation and what are its advantages? Why are people flocking to this so much?
3: Well, I guess part of the reason
1: is that it's
3: proven to be highly effective to focus on the need and not think that you have the best idea that will have commercial impact just because you have this great technology, but rather you need to understand the user needs and the user environment in which your innovation will be deployed.
1: I think that rings true, especially with a lot of us statisticians and engineers in the audience, where we're very used to situations where you have a solution and you're looking for the problem to which it applies. Because we get so wrapped up and we're so proud of our solutions. In uh, medtech industry in particular, there's so many other aspects to these and the application, the real-world functioning of these, the number of other stakeholders that are required for a given solution to work. That by working from the needs towards your solution is one of these more ironclad, foolproof ways to really develop in your plan. and. There's still, I guess, a place for people who have developed a lot of cool things because you need to be good at coming up with solutions. But the idea is you need to be starting at the right baseline and ticking off your boxes as you go. Is that right, Jerome?
2: You're absolutely right. Yes, so one of the key problems that we see often in healthcare innovation, it's a very long process, and there's a lot of risk involved in coming up with new technologies. And if we misread the need or if we misjudge the need, it's very easy to end up with a solution that doesn't really address the the key need. The opportunity to then apply the need-led innovation approach allows you to really reflect on all the risk, on all the factors that have an influence on your final outcome. And by doing that at the very beginning, it means that as you step through the process of innovation, you keep being critical and you ensure that you only pick those needs that you can indeed take forward and that can create an impact, as well as you will then focus on the solution that is very well matched with the need. And it connects very well with, for example, the value canvas. So if we are thinking about some of the value that you can generate with your solution, by starting with the need, it becomes very clear in which direction you should move.
1: Why don't uh, one of you walk us through the basic steps of this need-based process? You know, there are a lot of programs out here that provide training in needs-based innovation. What are the basic steps that pretty much everyone goes through as they develop a needs-based product? Right.
3: Well, the first thing is that it's quite difficult to innovate in healthcare because the environment in which you're trying to innovate is close to the outside world. So, the uh, hospital environment or a clinical environment is, for good reason, closed to anybody who just wants to to go in and have a look and see what problems they might find. So what we do is we provide an opportunity for the teams through connections with the healthcare sector for them to actually go into clinical daily practice and observe uh, what goes on there. So the basis of the needs-led innovation approach is what we call the um, the clinical immersion. And that is when the multidisciplinary teams go in and, you know, shadow doctors and nurses and talk to patients, they observe procedures, and that's really where they get their insights around their needs. And for the people without a background in healthcare, because obviously with um, multidisciplinary teams, you do find that some people like me, when I started out, I knew a lot about innovation. I knew a lot about the technical and the business side, but I had very little insight into the the healthcare side. You give everybody sort of the same platform to stand on and a basic understanding of uh, daily clinical life. So you go from there, and you gather, maybe two to 400 needs that are well identified. And we follow a certain protocol on how to write those needs down and how to formulate those needs. And then really, there's a lot of analysis that goes on into trying to select what are the, out of this big, big number of needs, what's the number one or top three needs that we can actually solve and that will have a uh, market impact and a patient impact. And when you've decided on that, you then start the ideation process to see what, what kind of, solutions could address this need. So obviously that is sort of the basis for the new slide innovation approach, where you don't ask the question, how do we solve this until you've actually come up with what is it that we're actually trying to solve? And then it sort of follows a normal design thinking approach where you follow the the double diamond and you try to find as many possible solutions as possible. And then you work with validating those solutions with stakeholders and with the data that you find to find the most fitting solution to your new. And then obviously you start with the business planning to create your business case. And this all sounds very nice and very linear, but in reality, it's quite a messy process. You jump back and forth, but just as a general overview, that's sort of the steps that you go through in one of these programs
1: that's really impressive i think that's one of the things that really has distinguished five design programs and you know a lot of programs that are trying to develop more healthcare innovators you know whether it's a doctoral or a masters degree program in healthcare or even just an undergraduate in healthcare innovation A lot of them are working more and more to bring these engineers and technical people into the clinics, getting that firsthand experience developing that intuition so that they have as much healthcare intuition as they do technical intuition. And it's definitely really impressive when people go through this and then they develop not one or two ideas about potential problems to solve, but, you know, hundreds of ideas that then have to be vetted through. It's a very impressive process and no doubt there's quite a number of iterations that are needed to sort through all that one question is, you know, what are the alternative approaches to this? Is it mainly that people go and they have a solution looking for a problem or are alternatives simply variations on needs-driven design at this point?
2: I think that's a very good question. In reality, the way to view it is, as Daniel explained, we have this process of starting with the need and only once we know and understand the need very well, then we come up with a solution and start to think about how to implement the solution. In reality, we also do quite a bit of work with companies or startups that already have a technical solution where we're trying to go back to the need and assess if that need that they were thinking was indeed the correct need. So that kind of retrofitting of understanding if the problem that they are trying to solve, if that's indeed the key problem that they can solve with their solution, is very important. I think all of it is to do with the critical assessment of thinking about what is it that we are trying to accomplish, and are we indeed accomplishing that based on the information that we have available. The critical assessment of looking back retrospectively is sometimes quite hard, but very important. So I think there's a lot of different approaches to take and a lot of different points to start. When we bring in new people to our program, it is very easy to start at the beginning because it makes the most sense. But again, as Daniel also mentioned, you will go back many times. It is not uncommon that people still find new information about the need in the very last stage of the implementation process. And it often means they have to go back again to the need stage and to really critically assess if that is still the best need to take forward and as we learn and as we gain more knowledge we also see that we should always start to update our understanding and our direction and that should in the end lead to the best outcome
1: that's a piece of good news you know uh, some people might say oh well i'm already so far along in my company i've already developed and put so much into this one particular set of ideas what is needs-led innovation have to offer to me. So if it does provide you a framework, for example, for a startup that needs to pivot or reconfigure, or at least simply to revalidate its initial assumptions, this need-based innovation can start helping you get ideas to start pivoting, to get back on a stronger foundation to know how you should be moving forward in a reliable, more risk-reduced way.
2: Absolutely, and I think that's one of the ways that we are now starting to look at needled innovation. If you can think of it as a tree, there's a lot of branches that are needed to kind of build up the whole tree. And it's about bringing in all those different branches together. So there's parts of the ethnographic research where it's really about doing the immersion. There are parts that are very much design thinking. There are parts related to intellectual property. And it's about bringing all of that together in a critical way that is really allowing you to build upon it. And I think that's a very nice way of framing it because it means that maybe you have already gone down some of these branches really far and which is really good news, but you might still need to explore some of these other branches that you haven't really gone into
1: speaking of branches you know there are a massive number of skills required for clinical innovation even beyond understanding the clinical need understanding technical solutions there's also you know the regulatory framework for example the conversation that rita and i had in a previous podcast there is all the ways that you need to be protecting yourself and protecting your patients. So, for example, with you know increasing need for uh, sophisticated security techniques and things like that, what are some of the main skills that us technical folk need to pick up on? Or what are the ones that we sort of really appreciate gaining more of? Is it, for example, better legal understanding? Where, uh, where do people try to branch off and really gain strength? So
3: I think it's um it's all of the above, the different disciplines. They're strong in different periods during the process. They need strength from their teammates and other parts of the process. And obviously the instructors are there to help and teach, but also in sort of a peer learning environment where we put most of the necessary groundwork into the team by having somebody with a medical background, somebody with a technical background, and somebody with a, a business background at least, And then you learn from your peers. And I would say that, you know, depending on where in the process you are, you will be picking up invaluable skills and perspectives, new perspectives that you haven't thought about. And I think that in itself, just to take a step back a little bit, the insight in itself to realize that You know what? There is a huge strength in multidisciplinarity. There is a lot that I can learn and need to learn from my peers. I don't have to be expert in everything. It's great if I know a little bit of all the parts of the process, But there are also experts out there and and you also learn how to get access and how to leverage those contacts that you have in order to find the right information. So I would say all of the parts of the process are really valuable. Now, you don't have to be an expert in every single one of them
1: because you will be able to rely on the network that you build throughout the program. That's actually one bit when you're talking about how to start getting access to these things, because, you know, as you said at the beginning, one of the biggest challenges to medical innovation is that there's this very insular aspect to it. It's very well protected and closed off from outsiders. And I think there's a lot of people who might say, you know, I have a good idea. I think I can make some improvement on some uh, clinical technology, but I just can't get anyone get my foot in the door, start asking people. What are some of the techniques that you use to start getting your foot in the door, making those clinical contacts so that you can start developing a good, trusting, innovative relationship?
2: I think the real starting point always is to come in with an open mind. So when a lot of the teams will go into the clinic, it's really to be there in a way that is respectful to the clinicians, to the nurses, to the staff. Is also highlighting that they're there to try to solve problems that they face. And although it might sound very simple, it is often quite hard to come across in a way where you are really trying to improve what the people are going through. So ideally, it is something that benefits both the patient, the clinicians, the whole healthcare system. And to come across like that can be quite difficult. So one of the things that we always are pushing for is this concept of psychological safety. And psychological safety just means that people are willing to talk about some of the mistakes that they made, they're willing to highlight some of the errors that they might see, but in a way that is not judgmental, in a way that's very respectful, in a way that helps the team, the hospital, uh, the healthcare system to move forward. And it requires a lot of time and it requires a lot of attention to gain the trust from everyone within um, a particular clinical team. But I think once that it reads, it becomes quite an easy thing in terms of trying to discuss and trying to get more information from them. And also um, it allows them to be observed in a very real environment. So what we normally say is because we're going in blank, it means that there's nothing that we're trying to sell. There's nothing that we're trying to pitch to them. We're there to listen. And I think that listening is a very important aspect of the whole process. So the more we can listen, the better we can probably come out of it.
1: Well, we're hoping to have you guys back for some future episodes to talk about some of the companies that have spun out from your programs. It would be great to have them walk us through the specific steps of the needs-based design process, Uh, you know, from identifying a need, generating their solution, and maintaining a strong relationship with clinical staff, and then actually taking the leap and starting their own company. Jerome, do you maybe have some examples of spin-out companies that originate in your program? Maybe a little teaser about who might come on the show later? It would be particularly interesting to have stories that you might like to highlight.
2: Yes, there are definitely some great companies that came out of the program. One company is Elbus Health. So they focus on a particular area in terms of respiration. They have a, a very interesting solution to think about how better to cater for those who suffer from asthma. And really how they came to their solution was really by understanding the need. They're doing really well they are still locally based uh, which is also great for the ecosystem that surrounds these kind of programs and i think it would be great if they could come in and provide a bit more insight into how they step through the need-led innovation approach another great company that is being established is gator it's an amazing story. The team had really no background with the patient group. They, they were very accomplished both in academic and in their kind of work around their own diseases. But through the need-led innovation approach, they identify a, a big issue with Parkinson patients and they, they kind of took that forward. And it was a nice way because it was really showing an approach where the patients, the users, the community were driving the need and the problem and they listened to them. And that's how they managed to get a good insight to work from. So Gator is another great example of really how a diverse team, even if they don't have yet expertise within that particular disease state, but are just very good in general, can take forward real-world solutions in a way that can really benefit the patient group.
1: These two companies are part of a much larger network, both across Europe and across the world. Who else is in this network, Daniel? So at Oxford, we work very
3: closely with our European sister programs. We have about seven sister programs throughout Europe, from Sweden and Denmark in the north to Galway to Paris uh, and Barcelona. But we also have a sister program called Starship, which is a, a part-time program. So it differs a little bit from the program that we run, but it differs also from the other programs in Europe. So it's a part-time program. That, too, has has had some great successes one is for example nebula x which is a company that spun out of the program and they're making a device to screen for colorectal cancer in a new way so like the examples that jerome mentioned you can really see a, a really diverse set of spin outs that come out of these programs
2: yeah that is absolutely true i think the breadth of companies that come out of the network is quite amazing and i think it is also due to the global community A lot of this work originated from some of the thinking that came out of Stanford and we can see this growing network that now also is in Japan, in India and across the world. And the nice thing is that by everybody speaking the same language, it becomes a very nice conversation you can have. And it can also become a conversation where people are very keen to learn from each other's experiences. And I think that's very valuable to have within a community. And that's why I think also this kind of community is flourishing because of the fact that there's a very open community, a community that is very keen to learn from one another and a community that is really looking into the future to continuously improve on how we do things.
1: It'll be certainly great to hear more from some of those uh, companies in the wider network throughout the show. So I look forward to having you guys and some of these other guests that you mentioned on at some time in the future. Yeah, that'd be great. Thank you, going. Glad to be with you.
2: Yes, looking forward to that. Thanks so much, Glenn, for inviting us today. It's been really nice talking to you. And I just wanted to highlight that within Oxford, we are also focusing on social entrepreneurship within Needled Innovation. It's a new area that we are very passionate about. And for those that are interested, they can find more information at Oxford Health Tech Labs. And we look forward for those with interest to reach out to us.
1: I'm sure you will be hearing from some people because you guys are doing a lot of really cool work. Thanks so much for your time today and I look forward to the three of us and some of these other needs-led entrepreneurs uh, talking with us in the future about the way that they've gone through this process and the discoveries that they've made.
0: Well, that's it for this episode of The Pod of Asclepius. We hope you enjoyed it and will tune in for our next episode. If you're watching from YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to our channel and leave a like. You can also follow us on our other social media channels, including LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great story or presentation that's ready for prime time? Or know someone who does? Drop Glenn an email because he'd be happy to hear from you. We would like to thank our sponsors from the American Statistical Association section on statistical learning and data science, section on medical devices and diagnostics, and North Carolina chapter. The views expressed on the show are those of the speaker and not their employers, our sponsors or anyone else not saying the words.